Last week, the Financial Services Sector Coordinating Council, or FSSCC, along with leading financial trade associations, released the Financial Services Sector Cybersecurity Profile. The profile provides a framework that integrates widely used standards and supervisory expectations to help guide financial institutions into developing and maintaining cybersecurity risk management programs, and is the result of two years' work in collaboration among financial institutions, trade groups, and government agencies. Hello, I'm Nick Holland with Information Security Media Group, and I'm joined today by Deniette De Piero, Vice President and Senior Counsel, Center of Payments and Cybersecurity at the American Bankers Association, and Josh Magri, who is the Senior Vice President and Counsel for Regulation and Developing Technology at BITS. Welcome both. Thank you, Nick, and uh, thank you for inviting us. So let's let's get started. I mean, what, what can you tell me about the profile and, I guess, the fundamental aims and objectives that are behind it? Sure. Um, so in terms of the, uh, the cybersecurity profile, what it is is a scalable and extensible assessment that financial institutions of all types can use both uh, for internal assessment as well as external assessment, think uh, third party, etc. cetera. Uh, and it's really a, a mechanism by which uh, firms can also evidence compliance with various regulatory frameworks. Uh, so it was really designed as what amounts to uh, a common college app for regulatory compliance. Uh, so that's a little bit about what the, uh, the profile is. In terms of the overall objectives and, and principles that we used in developing the uh, profile, um, we realized uh, early on that, that we wanted to do something and put together something uh, to benefit not only the financial institutions, but you know, most importantly, uh, customers uh, and the supervisory agencies that oversee the, uh, the safety and soundness of the financial services system. And so starting with a, a working group that was really representative of, of all the various subsectors within industry, we, we came up with some what amounts to general principles uh, or objectives, and uh, they were really were the, the, the following. Uh, it had to be something that was generally applicable and usable by all types of financial institutions, uh, but also adaptable based on uh, the various inherent risks and institutional uh, circumstances of each of the, uh, 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 the institutions within the sector. We also wanted something that was comprehensive in terms of the scope of the uh, uh, assessment questions asked, uh, but adequate and efficient to, to optimize cybersecurity staff uh, time at the keyboard and, and also the supervisory agency's time uh, conducting higher value analysis, deeper dives, looking for systemic risk, that type of thing. And then um, the third of, of the four objectives was that we wanted something that was usable and, and beneficial for, for those that are supervised by numerous agencies uh, in possible multi, multiple international jurisdictions. So think of, you know, the most highly interconnected complex uh, institutions with footprints uh, uh, across maybe something even the order of 80 to 100 countries. And by those that may have few, fewer supervisors, uh, but want a credible standardized self-assessment framework. You know, so it, it could be as uh, these institutions might have as little as one supervisor or perhaps two. You know, a good example would be a, a credit union within New York State where they might be subject to uh, both NCUA and uh, New York DFS. Uh, and then the fourth objective was really uh, something that would, would, 
we wanted to create something that was usable and beneficial for the most interconnected and, and systemically important institutions, and also among uh, the least interconnected. So really to achieve those objectives, we started to uh, look at a variety of, of, of documents um, at, at base. And uh, the one that we really chose on for developing out the, uh, the taxonomy was the NIST cybersecurity framework because it has uh, uh, usage not only within our sector but across all the sectors and it's now being uh, used, extended, adapted internationally as, as well. But we realized that you know, NIST in and of itself was not enough uh, and so we looked to uh, the CPMI IOSCO guidance, the ISO uh, 27000 series controls, as well as uh, the FFIEC, the Federal Financial Institutions Examination Council's Cybersecurity Assessment Tool, uh, also known as the FFIEC CAT. And uh, the FFIEC CAT uh, we looked at in particular uh, because they did uh, something unique. They extended the guidance into something that was much more diagnostic. So we took that as the inspiration uh, for the diagnostic statements that we compose in our, our profile. Yeah, I would add on to that. I think if we, if we rewind the clock a little bit to where we were in 2016, just to give some context of why we realized that we need to come up with a, a common kind of sector, financial services-wide approach to cybersecurity, is the years leading up to 2016, we went from zero cybersecurity kind of um, supervisory issuances, be it rules, guidance, um, or other materials, states, U.S. national as well as international, we went from zero to about 40 in a handful of years. And it was obvious that we're starting to see um, kind of new rules percolate up. Uh, we saw some of the international bodies starting to really pay attention to cyber. Kind of, you could compare it to the years before we saw the Basel Capital rules that we realized if we didn't come up with some kind of an approach that kind of harmonized all of those um, different thoughts and uh, postures around cybersecurity, that we were going to end up with potentially, you know, what, 50? you know, different rules around cybersecurity for financial services. So at that point in time, we knew that we had to come up with something that was credible, that was rooted in a, um, a real approach to cybersecurity. The cyber assessment tool the FFIC came out with uh, was a great discussion document, especially for senior executives, but again, it wasn't rooted in a, a credible internationally accepted framework. And um, we had many smaller institutions that would work their way through what we call the CAT, the cyber assessment tool and realize that although they, they may not necessarily know what how to diagnose their maturity or their approach to cyber, they also realized that there was no roadmap for them if they wanted to um, do something differently or um, kind of adjust their approach to cyber. So they, they really needed something that was a bit more of um, a roadmap as opposed to just kind of this discussion tool that could kind of leave them hanging. And then ultimately, um, we also really realized that we, if, because of the internet con connectedness of the sector, we had to have something that would um, reach out to those smallest institutions and uh, at the same time uh, was workable for the largest institutions. And the community banks have been incredibly receptive to it. Um, even a very small community bank in you know, somewhere like the DC area may be active in more than one state. It's not that unusual, you know, Maryland, Virginia, Pennsylvania. And they, in, there's been a, quite an interest in, from an M&A perspective, if you're gonna be doing participations, there's an interest amongst the community bank sector to have something other than the CAT that's rooted in a credible approach to cybersecurity that lets them understand where they sit amongst their peers 
and who amongst their peers they may want to um, have a more strategic you know, business plan. So it's been a well-received across the industry. Very good. And it sounds like, again, this was, this was something that took a couple of years of work, and you, you mentioned that it was 300 experts from 150 financial institutions. So that's, that's a pretty good cross-section, I imagine. Um, so how, I mean, I'll ask you, Daniette, I mean, how, how do you expect this to sort of permeate through, again, the ABA members? Is this something you're going to be um, pushing, or um, what kind of educational initiatives are they focusing on? Well, the launch was last week. Uh, we had about uh, 100 participants in uh, D.C. Um, I would expect that over the coming months that there will be increasing you know, uh, media coverage as well as um, education and roundtables. We are looking at pushing out some more uh, kind of user-friendly user guides, especially for the smaller institutions. I mean, the NIST cybersecurity framework is rather complex, can be kind of intimidating. So the other part of developing this profile is actually to uh, kind of onboard smaller institutions into the NIST approach to cybersecurity, which uh, if you were to drop somebody in kind of into the middle of the NIST framework, I think they could be easily overwhelmed. But coming up with um, kind of an onboarding process, I think will both make the sector safer as well as, um, you know, better educate the uh, community mid-sized regional banks as to kind of the NIST uh, approach to cyber as well as something that's, you know, again, rooted in a, a credible, uh, internationally accepted approach to cybersecurity. So that will be coming over over the next um, several months. There'll be kind of a rollout of education. One of the reasons that we uh, utilized uh, NIST was, besides it being credible um, both domestically and internationally, you know, there 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 is a level of complexity if you were to look at the tail end of the framework. Um, this is kind of the right-hand sides of the framework, but if you were to look at the left-hand sides of the framework, really what you you have are, are five five functions, uh, which are really pretty easily uh, pretty easy to understand. You know, identify, detect, protect, respond, recover. That reduces it uh, to almost like a, a coding or a taxonomy. Uh, and that's really what we uh, utilized. And we actually extended it to include governance and dependency management because we saw that that was something in the, the guidance, that 40 that um, Danette was mentioning, that became uh, prominent and that the regulatory community was really emphasizing both in that guidance and then in conversations that they, they had with us. But, um, you know, to have something that, that you can um, quickly get uh, through looking at seven functions, governance, identify, detect, protect, respond, recover, and dependency management. Uh, we think that that's, that's going to be uh, immensely helpful um, uh, to communicate cyber risk management, not only uh, uh, to the, to the end, end line defender, but up through the board. And that's something that we've heard at BTI. We're a CEO-based organization from our CEOs and, and, and board directors. So NIST's also recently launched a privacy framework. Um, are there plans for your organizations to be involved in that initiative? The answer to that is uh, yes. You know, we're, we're obviously uh, excited that, the, that NIST is, is taking it on. We believe that you know, NIST approach, a multi-stakeholder approach, is, is uh, really the best way forward because it, it it surfaces uh, a lot of the good ideas. You know, it surfaces some ideas that aren't so great either, but, you know, it surfaces a lot of the good ideas, and those are the ones that uh, 
tend to get uh, folks to, to get excited for, and there's a consensus process. So um, the short answer to my long response is yes, that, uh, that we fully plan on being in, involved in, in the, uh, the privacy framework uh, development as well. Yeah, ABA is, is involved um, as well. Uh, you know, part of what happened with the privacy framework, and again, the broader context around it was both the introduction of the European Union's general data protection rule, as well as the passage of the Consumer Privacy Act in California. Um, there was a whole kind of legislative push that these things were starting to happen. And um, a number of, there was a concern, you know, do we adopt whole, wholeheartedly uh, the approach to privacy that developed in Europe that has a lot of cultural context around it and cultural history that is very different than how we approach things in the U.S., even just from a legal perspective and arguably from a constitutional perspective. And um, the idea of having a U.S. privacy framework that I think NIST has done a fantastic job of showing their ability to lead when there's these very complex and sometimes even rather emotional um, issues and trying to come up with a rational approach, um, has, their, their leadership has been fantastic. So I'm actually very intrigued to see what kind of product we come up with that does, you know, incorporate maybe some of the approaches to privacy we've seen internationally and even here in the States, but it kind of imbues it with an American perspective of, you know, what is privacy? What is the right of the individual versus the state um, and, and versus, you know, peers? So, uh, yes, we're going to be involved. It, my understanding is that it, there will be kind of a, an incorporation between the, the cybersecurity framework, kind of the risk management framework, the privacy framework. Those will work ultimately together in kind of a, a holistic way, or at least kind of incorporate and acknowledge each other. And, um, and we'll be active in it. I would expect it to be a multi-year process. No, none of these issues are easy or simple, and there'll be a long dialogue to um, what is the right, what's the right way forward. Right. And yes, I mean, clearly the, the NIST privacy initiative has literally just started. It was the, the launching workshop was a couple of weeks ago. So it's certainly a work in progress at this point. So Daniette and Josh, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, that was Daniette Piero from the American Banks Association, Josh McGree from BITS. And for Information Security Media Group, I'm Nick Holland.